Hello and welcome once again to Wrestling Memories Then and Now on Pioneer 90.1 FM KSRQ here in Thief River Falls, Minnesota. We go beyond the FM dial, so if you want to listen uh, and you're out of range, you can go to radionorthland.org and if you have one of those smartphones a lot of us do i mean face it it's a smartphone world you can download the app from tune in and we're there as well and we're also part of the offshoots network too so a lot of the good places to check out wrestling memories then and now i'm glenn broggett along with my co-host down deep in the heart of texas mr mike grizzled vet v- mccurdy hey mike it's so good to have you back on uh wrestling memories then and now uh, you were on assignment but boy you came back with uh, a heck of a guest here uh, while you were on assignment well last week i had uh some of the guys uh, a few weeks back had, had some of the guys from the awa who used to uh work enhancements uh you had to miss that one but it's glad to have you back i'm glad to have you back here this week i'm glad to be back man and i'm sure you had a great time with the with the job men in Minnesota. I admit my AWA uh, knowledge is a little lacking. You know, I got into the AWA probably the late 80s. Larry Zabisco won the championship. Tom Zink was still there. You know, so, you know, I'm a little, you know, rough on my AWA history. So, you know, I like to kick back and listen to your interviews with these guys. I get to learn a little bit more about it. So, well, yeah, yeah. It's all good, man. Even the grizzled vet can learn a little bit. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it was, and again, a big thank you to, uh, Chris Curtis, uh, of course, uh, Mike Richards, and Tom Rocky Stone. There were some great memories, and I know our guest, uh, if I mention those names, he's probably worked with those guys, whether it would be uh, for AWA TV or WWF TV through the years. So, yeah, it's we've got a little bit of a connection here. we got some continuity going on here with wrestling memories then and now, but Mike, it was really fun to have those guys share their stories uh, about, you know, traveling from Milwaukee to work the TVs for Vern, and then uh, we got a little bit into their uh, time with in the late 80s but yeah you definitely learning uh you learn something new every week and it was really kind of fun to get, get the light you know kind of showing on them for a while well definitely like i said i always look forward to those interviews and i'm looking forward to this one man because you know we've had nikita koloff on here we've had dr d davis we've had those guests that man you know, you and i it kind of spurs up those childhood memories sitting in front of the tv watching these guys on television so this week just like past week this is one of those ones man it's kind of a little a little fun for the both of us, if you will. Oh my God, yes! I mean, through the years, I I, I watched him, was a big fan of his in the WWF. I even got to ca- check a tail, catch the telltale end of his time with the AWA when I was very, very, very young. Uh, when I first started watching wrestling up here in Northwestern Minnesota, and uh, our guest today has a really cool book coming out. The book about his life, and uh, he's been working uh, with Kenny, worked with Kenny Casanova, who was a previous guest on the program. So, should I just uh, give this man his proper introduction? let's roll with it man let's introduce this man let's get talking some wrestling memories absolutely this man is a hall of famer multi-time hall of famer he was a superstar with the wwf in the 1980s before that he worked the territories he worked for the awa he was in georgia championship wrestling he was in florida man we're going to have so much to talk about with our guest he's also an author he uh, wrote he put out his book here just in time for the holidays it's called don't call me chico this is the man we've been waiting to have on the program for quite some time, and uh, I'm so so happy uh, to, to talk with him about the new book and share some of his wrestling memories. Tito Santana, welcome to the program, and welcome uh, to Wrestling Memories Then and Now. Thank you so much, guys. I'm, I'm happy to be here with you guys. 
Yeah, and it's so great that we were able to work out uh, a chance to get a chance, you know, to get this opportunity to, to speak with you. And uh, Mike and I are from two different locations. We broadcast when we record the program. I'm up here in uh, a place that you uh, we talked a little bit uh, before we got on Mike. A place that you spent a couple of years up here. You spent a few winters up here in northwestern. Well, not necessarily northwestern Minnesota, but you were up in Minnesota, up here in AWA country. So you know, as it gets to this time of year. I, I bet you you've had some experience and some memories of of working in this uh, up in here in this colder climate, uh, through, you know, at, through your time with Vern. Let me tell you, <laughs> I, I was there in eighty one, uh, eighty two, and the coldest winters were in eighty one and eighty two. We used to fly in a little Cessna and, and come back every night, and the the chill factor the was about 70 to 75 below zero. We, we'd have to push the plane back into, into, the, in, into the, the, the garage, whatever you call that. And, and uh, within 10 minutes, uh, my wife would be out in the car waiting for me. Uh, at least the car would be uh, warm. The other guys had to start a cold car. But uh, my bones would be aching, you know, 10 minutes. And, and, and God, I, I, was so, I wasn't so, I was happy to leave when I left. <laughs> yeah, for those winters alone, I don't blame you. I mean, oh, I, I I have been up here all my life, but I I, I could definitely definitely I, I would not hold it against you. But you know what? The other times of the year, the other three seasons are definitely uh, quite quite beautiful up here, and and I know that you've experienced those. So we can't completely throw Minnesota under the bus because of this these uh, winters. The, 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 the summers uh, there isn't a better place to be, and uh, when the weather's good in the summers, I mean the, the weather, I mean. It, you go from one extreme to the other. Uh, the, the weather in the summer there—it's uh, like you—you you wouldn't want to be anywhere else. Mm-hmm. So you said you traveled on the AWA plane. Uh, now, did you do a lot of like uh, road traveling too in the AWA, hitting some of the towns, or was it pretty much uh, you were offered the luxury of that plane? Or were there occasions where you did have to uh, get on the road uh, during your your time up here uh, in Burns territory? Uh, we did some 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 uh, some driving also, but the, the trips were never long. Uh, and any long trips, you know, I guess I was considered one of the top eight uh, wrestlers in, in, in the territory, and and uh, I, I had the luxury of, uh, of flying in the plane every time. Uh, you know, because we would drive to we would fly to, to Denver, Colorado, to Chicago, to uh, uh, Des Moines. You know, uh, I, those Iowa towns, and uh, you know. They they would take the the Cessna. We'd go into uh, Winnipeg and you know fly in, in, in the Cessna and and, and it, it was nice you know because we'd we'd go up and 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 we'd be back by you know twelve twelve thirty every night. It, it was it, it was nice, uh, not having to drive all the time. The underneath card, uh, Bug Zumhoff uh, would uh, load up his van and you know carry a load van of uh, wrestlers and you know in his, in his van and you know some you know they they would do a lot of driving and uh, in your book, uh, you, you talk a lot about, uh, you, you bring up some stories about the travels that you made through the years and through the various territories with some of the various guys. And uh, who, when you think of the AWA for travel partners or people you travel with, uh, who, who were some of the guys that were, that were more of the characters that, you know, while you were uh, going from town to town, whether it would be in the plane or, or in the vehicle, who, who were some of the guys that were constants as far as travel partners and, and who were, really stood out in, in those days? I mean, 
if you're traveling even to the small towns in the winter, I mean, it could make for some interesting travel. Yes, but, you know, you, you got to remember that the, the AWA, you know, along uh, probably with New York was, you know, as far as I'm concerned, was probably the either the second or the third best territory uh, to work at. Uh, you could have a normal life. Uh, you only wrestle maybe 200 days a year, 180 to 200 days a year. So you'd almost live like a like a normal human being. Uh, but, you know, Vern Gagne was very protective of the territory. You know, uh, uh, he didn't really allow the, the bad guys hanging around with the bad guys. You know, you, the good guys hung around with the good guys and the bad guys traveled with, with the bad guys. And uh, guys that I traveled with uh, quite a bit were... Uh, uh, believe it or not, uh, Greg uh, Gagne and I became real good friends, and, and uh, of course his partner Jim Brunzel, and believe it or not, Baron Von Rasky was a good guy. Uh, you know, so we, you know, completely different uh, characters, right? Uh, uh, I, I didn't hang around too much with Met Dog Vajan, but Met Dog Vajan was another really good uh, baby face there in the territory. Uh, and who was the other guy from Milwaukee that, uh, the crusher, the crusher, the crusher, the crusher was, uh, was another, uh, guy that I I would hang around with, uh, you know, different ages you know, different, you know, I was pretty young when I was there and then those guys were towards the end of their career, but you know, they accepted me and then we hung and we traveled together and, you know, we made the best of it. And, you know, and you, your, your career was still, you know, you were still coming into your own as well when you were in the AWA. So I have to take, I have to think that while you were there, uh, you know, not only uh, we're talking about the road, but I mean, you had to have, have picked up some knowledge and some tips by, you know, whether it would be in those cars or whether it would be, uh, you know, for interview day uh, or the TV tapings uh, back at the studio uh, to be able to be at that time of the territories and to be able to have such, uh, you know, big, strong guy, you know, pres- such strong presence by some of these superstars stars you really did truly benefit from from those those times as far as developing and coming into your own well uh, pretty much you know when, when they had the big shows uh every match could have been a main event uh, anywhere else you know he, he nothing but but top you know Vern had like uh, four or five matches in a card you know and and, and sell out uh, st paul or, or minnesota uh and you know card from from top to bottom was the main eventers when I moved there, uh, I had been friends with uh, Dino Bravo, and uh, we shared an apartment. And as a matter of fact, Dino is the one that, uh, you know, was uh, the one responsible for me. You know, he, he, Dino would uh, would tell me, you got to come up with a catchy phrase. You got to come up with a catchy phrase at the end of the interview. And then and one, one, one interview day, uh, we were doing t- the taping, he says, start saying arriba after you get done with your interview kick in your your spanish you know and then show like you're a little pissed off and and then finish up with arriba and and he was the one that you know gave me that idea and it was because of dino that uh you know that that was a catchy phrase that you know remained with me for the rest of my career 
And now you get to share some of these stories uh, in your latest book, uh, Tito Santana, Don't Call Me Chico. And, uh, of course, uh, wrestling fans like myself and the Grizzle Vet all remember, uh, you know, Jesse Ventura would always make reference to you as Chico Santana. I could still remember in the AWA, but there you go. You're talking about Minnesota connections. Uh, there's another guy, Jesse Ventura. He, in and of, of itself, I mean, yes, it, it may, you know, in, in today's times, of course, uh, uh, these really highly charged senses of times i don't know how well this would get over but it, it seemed like back in the day jesse by calling you affectionately calling you chico it was another way to to, to kind of boost your profile as well and uh what, what what do you think what were your memories you know with with, with jesse i mean you had a chance to work with him uh, on, on not only in the awa but in the wwf well jesse was you know jesse was not one of your best workers in the ring but not too many people could talk better than Jesse. And Jesse could uh, get a mile out of an inch. He didn't have to know how to work like some of the other guys. Uh, we, we, uh, he, he has talked, you know, people have asked him uh, if he had a choice, who would he want to wrestle? And, and he, he always uh, says, Tito Santana, uh, I, I'd let him do his stuff. We'd be in the ring and, and the people would be ready to come in and kill Jesse and we hadn't even touched for 10 minutes. Uh, and, and then we, we, we would do something and he'd do, you know, he, would, he was the type of guy that uh, would do stuff behind the referee and, and get a lot of heat, uh, where a lot of the heels would do stuff uh, right in front of the, heat, uh, of the referee. And so, so, the, so the heat would go in the referee. But if, he, if Jesse would do it behind and, and you know, the people would get pissed off, but you know the, you, you couldn't blame the referee because the, the ref, he would do it behind the referee. Uh, he he had a great psychology. At, his interviews were were you know to me as good as it gets as far as the heel interview. And you know between him and Dino Bravo, it really uh, you, you know this was some good guys to have to help uh, help you along with your career. Now I want to talk about the book. I mean, you had previously had written a book uh, a few years back, but what made you decide to revisit and, and hook up with Kenny Casanova, who has put out some really great books here in the last couple of years from other professional wrestlers? What was it about uh, Kenny's pitch, or what was it about it that made you want to get back and actually expand upon your your, your life story and, and to put out this? book don't call me chico well kenny's the one that, that approached me about the idea and and i had had a, a sour taste with my first book because uh uh the company that uh that supposedly was going to put out my book uh went bankrupt so we they never came up with books they they uh they only came out with a, with, with a few. I, I don't even know how many there there are a few around, but not many. And and uh, you know, it wasn't a very good experience for me. Uh, so I kind of it left a, a sour taste in my mouth. And you know, I wasn't eager to to, to do it because it, it, it you know it takes a lot of takes a lot of work to to put something like that together. And uh, it, you know. Kenny was pretty smart, and he explained the, the whole process. And you know, he's been very legit, and everything has been just like he laid it out to me. And you know, so here we are now. You know, I, I, I keep hearing that uh, by December the 13th, uh, the books will be printed, and 
you know, hopefully shortly after that, I'll be able to start sending the books, all the pre-orders out and making the phone calls. Yeah, that that's kind of an nice touch. Uh, the way you guys set up the packages uh, to to have a, a, not only by the per, pre-order the book, but to to give a phone call. And I know that uh, that'll be a, a probably a nice long list of people who who appreciate your work uh, that that will be so pleasantly surprised by by getting a phone call. I always find that I find that approach to to be uh, really kind of cool because it just not only uh, you know you get this reinforcement uh, you know from from you know, by buying the book, but you actually get to talk to the person. Person that, that 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 watched you or was a fan of you enough to uh, want to hear more about your story. Yeah, I mean that's why I'm still out on the road. You know, uh, I don't go out as much as uh, a lot of the guys, uh, especially in the winter. I don't I don't like to travel. I don't like to take chances getting caught in, in, in the snow. But uh, it, not, it doesn't get any better than when when you have a fan standing right in front of you and telling you. Uh, great memories that that uh, that you're responsible for in their lives, you know, and and they remember stuff that there's no way that that, that I would recall them if, if they wouldn't bring it up. <laughs> uh, so you know, it, it, it's a great feeling to me when when a fan shows appreciation for what I did in the ring. Lots of love for you, uh, Tito, out there. Now I'm going to bring in the grizzle bet Mike McCurdy. Uh, he's got a few questions uh, for you, and then I'll be back uh, to ask a few more here as we talk with Tito Santana. Uh, his book is out now, and it's now ready for pre-order, but it's going to be ready. It'll be under your tree by Christmas. Don't call me Chico. grizzle bet Mike McCurdy, I'm going to bring you in uh, for this uh, portion of the conversation here on Wrestling Memories Then and Now. All right, man. Thank you. I appreciate that. I've, I've been looking forward to talking with Tito tonight. Um, as we said on the, uh, in the intro, you know, you and I, we were both kids watching this and my first recollections and my first memories of getting to watch Tito Santana in the ring were of course in the WWF. Uh, Tito, not only were you in the WWE, you did a one year, about a year run, went back to the, went to the AWA. You returned back and the time frame where you were coming back, that was just about the time of, you know, Hulkamania was getting started. I remember watching, you know, the Hulk Hogan's Rock and Wrestling uh, cartoon. You were on that. I remember watching you on Superstars and Challenge and all that. Um, what was it like at that time? Because that was probably like some of the biggest like national exposure at that time. Because Hulkamania was just, was just starting. It ran huge. And that was a major part of your run in the WWF. So I would like to talk a little bit about that. Of, you know, kind of just what the atmosphere was then. And what was it like working at that time? during what is still considered one of the major boom periods of professional wrestling? Well, uh, my my whole career, uh, it it was almost like uh, Hogan started just a couple of months after I did. So my career started a couple of months ahead of Hulk. We started in Florida. I left Florida. He started training. I went to Georgia. He went to, I think he went to... uh, one of the southern uh, uh, third Memphis, I think. Uh, then, I, then I went to Atlanta. Then I went to Charlotte. Then I uh, went to New York. Uh, Hulk came to New York. You know, we were both green as, as, as heck. You know, we'd, we'd only been in the business a couple of years. Uh, so neither one of us were, in, you know, considered for main events because we weren't ready yet. So then I, I left New York after a year. Uh, Hogan left New York. Uh, I went to to the AWA, and shortly after that, Hogan went to the AWA. Uh, that's when the 
uh, the Rocky movie, you know, and from what I understand, Sylvester Stallone uh, sent letters to, I think, three or four of the wrestlers, and, and Hulk was the only one that answered it. And, and he got the part, and, and that was his biggest break in, you know, in his life. And then he came to New York, and after that, we, I was in the same territories with Hulk. And wherever, whenever Hulk went to a territory, the business just went crazy, you know. So I made a lot of money just by being, you know, in the same territory as Hulk was. And fortunately, I, I, you know, I had a good, pretty good position, you know, also, uh, we both matured at the same time, but, you know, Hulk was Hulk and, uh, Tito Santana was Tito Santana and, and not too many people were making the kind of money the Hulk was making, but, uh, I, I did pretty well just by being, being there. Now, part of the, as I was saying, part of the, the thing with the Hulk and that wasn't just like, you know, getting a chance to work with, you know, you had the Intercontinental Championship, you know, you and Greg Valentine, some great matches there. But there were just so many, your image, I mean, I had, like, you know, cards and toys and things like that. I had a lot of that stuff growing up. You know, your image was on a lot of that. Like I said, the Hulk Hogan, the Rock and Wrestling cartoon, you were a part of that as well, as well as many other stars on it. So it wasn't really more just, you know, the wrestling thing. You know, you were becoming like this, like, national superstar. You know, Saturday morning cartoons, that was back when, you know, Saturday mornings was the only day you got to watch cartoons. They didn't have cartoons 24-7 like they do now. And, you know, Hulk Hogan's Rock and Wrestling, that was, that was a big one at that point in time. So we my, ranked, my question is... Uh, yeah. we, we were ranked second in the, uh, in, in the nation. We, uh, the Smurfs were number one and we were number two. So it was a, it was a pretty hard, uh, hot cartoon. You're right. Now, my question is... is with all that going, like I said, it wasn't just the wrestling. It was the marketing. There was just – and WWF was obviously at the top of their game. You know, how was that knowing you know, the kids had, you know, the cards, the posters, you know, they would go to there and they'd buy the gimmicks and the rest of it. That's where the WWF started. They were the merchandising machine. And obviously, you know, Tito Santana, your name and your image, that was part of that. Yeah, so what was, you know, you know what was kind of there and – what was money like that were out? Because it wasn't, like I said, it wasn't just the wrestling. You were almost kind of like, you know, national celebrities like TV and movie stars. Right. And, and, and all of a sudden, you know, we're getting the, the WWF is getting requests for us to, to make appearances. And, and we were getting paid pretty good money. And all of a sudden, there's the cards. And all of a sudden, there's the figures. And, and all of a sudden, we're getting checks uh, uh uh, for 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 the figures, and we're getting checks for the cards, and we're getting checks for uh, different things that that we had never uh, even imagined that 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 that, that uh, wrestling was ever going to reach uh, uh, those kind of uh, rewards, I guess. So coming from what was you know obviously the territory days, and unfortunately when Vince kind of went national, some of the territories did start to die. Coming from the territories to this major, you know national exposure you know how was that like and did that really like change how you worked in the ring because you know instead of the smaller crowds i mean not super small but the smaller crowds of the territories to the you know thousands and thousands of people in the arenas with uh, the wwf well, i i don't think it changed the way we worked in the ring uh it, it made it a lot easier because you know when you have a 20,000, 30,000, 40,000, uh, 100,000 people uh, screaming, you know, you don't feel the bumps. You know, you don't feel the bumps until after you cool off uh, an hour or so after, uh, after the matches. 
uh, it, it just became more fun, you know. Uh, the, the wrestlers uh, back then, we were learning from the best. We were learning psychology, ring psychology. So we were all good workers. And, and, and you know, from, from start to, to the end, uh, every worker, you know, everybody that went in the ring, we went out there to, to try to steal the show, you know. And, and we went out there to have the best match of the night. We, we just... Uh, Everybody had a lot of pride, and we all wanted to have a good match for the fans. And the, you know, the friends would always uh, give you appreciation. And you know, it, it was a, it was a great time. I, I remember, uh, you know, for for quite a while, once the WrestleMania started, uh, we'd go to arenas, and and you know, there'd be twenty thousand people in the arena, and twenty thousand that couldn't get in, pretty much every night. Uh, they were turning people away. You know, it it uh, it was hot, and it was the uh, it was nice being part of that. Now, you know, you, you mentioned WrestleMania. That's one of the distinctions that, you know, you have. You were the first match of WrestleMania. When WrestleMania came on closed circuit, because, you know, I don't, they didn't have the pay-per-view, but I believe it was all closed circuit. You know, you were the first match. You versus the executioner, who we all know is, you know, Playboy Buddy Rose. You're working with Buddy Rose in the ring, another legend. Uh, I'm sure you cross paths with him through, you know, AWA, some of that. But, Knowing you were the first match at WrestleMania, WrestleMania, they didn't know how huge it was going to be. You know, Vince had the idea of the big super card, but you were the first match of WrestleMania. You know, how did that feel going out there, you know, for this, for what was basically a new concept and looking back on it now, how do you feel about knowing that you have such a major part of the history? Well, later on, it became more obvious to me, the importance of being the first match on WrestleMania 1. The night of WrestleMania 1, when I found out that I was going to open the card, to me, uh, being the card opener was not very, very, you know, it didn't make me feel that happy that I was going to be the one opening the card. Uh, it, it didn't become uh, uh, important to me until right before I went through the curtains, before the show started, Vince Stone came up to me and he said, uh, you know, the reason you are on the first match is because you're the guy that can get up there and you're going to set the tempo. I need for you to go out there and get the people off their ass and you're the guy that can do it. Uh, it, it, it became a, a, a more important reason for me to go out there and, and then it became, uh, it made more sense. Now, we haven't had a chance to talk to a lot of the guys from, you know, the original WrestleMania. What was kind of the, the feeling in the building at that time? Because obviously this was a huge gamble. You know, no one knew that it was going to be the mega success that we now know. I mean, we're going into WrestleMania, I believe, 36, 36 or 37. I'm not sure which. But what was the atmosphere like in the arena that night, you know, going into WrestleMania, such a big gamble, you know, what was kind of the feeling with Vince and everything else? Because, like I said, no one knew exactly where this was going to go. Well, uh, Vince told us, you know, that night, you know, he kind of had a little meeting with us, and he said, uh, you know, guys, I, I, uh, this is do or die for, for the wrestling business. He said, I invested everything I got. So tonight we're either going to make it or we're going to sink or we're going to make it. And, uh, you know, like you said, nobody knew. For the wrestlers, it was just another uh, show as far as, uh, uh, 
wrestling in, in, in Madison Square Garden, which was big in itself. You know, we always worked in, in front of uh, over 20,000 people there. But we didn't realize, you know, how many more people are, were going to be able to view, you know, it, it, it didn't hit, you know, it, it didn't hit me. Maybe some of the other guys did, but, you know, I, I, I just didn't think of, you know, people all over the world were going to be watching us. And, you know, you, you got to admit, you had a great partner in the ring for that night. You know, he wrestled under hood as the executioner, unfortunately. But, you know, you got to work with Playboy Buddy Rose, who, like I said, one of the legends, you know, obviously, you know, Glenn, very familiar with him being from Minnesota. I'm originally from California, so I watched, you know, Buddy Rose, Pacific Northwest, and Portland wrestling. What was it like getting to work with him in the ring that night and just getting to work with Buddy Rose in general? I always love to hear about people's experiences with Buddy because not only was he – not the greatest shape, but the man could work in that ring. Well, the, 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 to me, he, he was a great heel. He was a great worker. I, I don't know how you feel about this, but to me, it was an injustice to put a mask on him. Uh, I, I think he would have got a lot more heat uh, if, if people would have been able to see his expressions and his face. And you know, uh, I personally think he would have got a lot more heat. Uh, it, it made it a little harder that... Uh, not everybody knew who he was. Maybe a few did, you know, if you knew him and you knew his body. But because uh, he had been in New York, but uh, it, it had been a while since he had left. And he had gotten over pretty pretty big as a heel. But a lot of people didn't know who he was. You know, I kind of wish that uh, I would have uh, been happy to have worked with Body Rose as, as Body Rose. But uh, uh, I don't know whose idea it was to put him under the mask. Now, another guy you got to work with in the uh, in WWF, uh, and you guys traded the Intercontinental title back a few times, and that's Greg the Hammer Valentine. I got a chance to catch up with Greg uh, just a few months ago here in Texas. He was in an event. And Greg's one of those guys that, to this day, he, he, he looks a little bit older, but he still looks like Greg the Hammer Valentine. Still same build, same shape. You know, looks like he could go in the ring, like, right now and just wrestle a main event. You know, what was it like we getting to work with Greg? And, you know, because like I said, you guys traded the Intercontinental title back on a couple of occasions. Well, uh, Greg came from a big family, from from, from a, a big uh, a wrestling family. You know, his father was a fantastic heel, and, and, and Greg was very good. Uh, Greg uh, had been in the business uh, a few years more than I, I was, so, you know, uh, he was a great leader. You know, Greg knew how to get heat. Uh, Greg, Greg knew how to draw money. It was a big break for me to to, to be able to have a, a, a feud. Uh, we ended up, I mean, our, our feud got over so big that it was the longest feud in the history of the of the, the WWE, the WWF. We wrestled each other pretty much every night for about a, a year and a half. You know, you could get away with it back then because you didn't have, uh, you know, the kind of uh, technology that they have now. You know, you couldn't do it anymore. But back then, you know, we... We'd wrestle the same the same match, you know, all over the country. Now, speaking of the technology, I, you know, well, I'm going to touch base with that for just a second since you brought it up. Um, how do you feel now that you, know, you look at technology now and you've got your, you know, social media sites, you've got file sharing, you've got all these, you know, networks and streaming services. You know, looking at it, do you follow any of this? Do you follow any of the streaming services, the sites, and how does that compare? And is it good or bad for wrestling? I have no idea. You know, it's not a wrestling show anymore. It's a, it's, it's a, it's a TV show. Uh, the guys will never know the psychology that we, 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 
new because we were taught, the, you know, other guys taught us psychology and, and you know, they, they didn't rush us into the ring. You know, we, we, we didn't go into main events before we were ready. Uh, you know, we, we learned psychology. Uh, the, the, the new wrestlers, you know, don't get the opportunity to learn, you know, and wrestle for years the way we did, to, you know. But like, like the wrestling fan is, is programmed to, to, uh, to a different style of wrestling, you know. Uh, uh, the wrestling, you know, now what the guys do in the ring is, you know, is a lot more dangerous than what we did. Uh, we used to go in there and we'd protect each other's body, and, and, and now they have no, uh, they, they just go out there and they beat the crap out of each other for no rhyme or reason, and, and they take these unbelievable risky bumps and, uh, you know, for no rhyme or reason, just to, to entertain the fans. You know, they don't want, uh, you know, a story told. It's, it's, uh, you watch a wrestling show and, you know, it's, there's a lot more talk than wrestling. I'm sure you know that. I don't watch the, 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 the wrestling of, of today. You know, I'm just way too busy. Not, not that I wouldn't watch it. I just don't have the time. Now, how is it, you know, like I said, I mentioned the streaming services, you know, YouTube, WWE Network. How is it for you now knowing that, you know, this generation fans are able to go onto these sites and see, you know, your matches with, you know, Greg Valentine, uh, Jesse Ventura, all the guys you guys are, you know, this generation, we're getting to see, they're getting to see this stuff. You know, how is that for you knowing that the work that you did back then is still able and people are watching it now? Well, I think all the legends, you know, we, we, uh, we are very grateful for, for the network, you know, they pay $10 a, a month and, and, and they get to see all our matches. And, uh, it's unbelievable the young the young wrestling fans who come up and tell me that they've seen a lot of my matches and 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 you know they love my work and you know uh, the the network uh, revived our careers you know we're still making you know a few bucks you know off of wrestling and you know God I, the last time that I was on TV was in 1993 you know and uh, people are still watching my matches. Yeah, I have a son. He's eight years old, loves wrestling. Uh, mentioned to him today, I said, going to be recording an interview with Tito Santana. And first words out of his mouth were, Dad, he wrestled as El Matador. And I'm like, well, okay, yes, he wrestled as El Matador, but that's what he liked. But my eight-year-old son got excited because that's who Dad was talking to tonight. So, <laughs> uh-huh. All right, I'm going to ask a couple of questions here uh, for Tito Santana on this edition of Wrestling Memories Then and Now. Tito Santana's book. Tito Santana, Don't Call Me Chico, is out now. You can pre-order it uh, through Amazon and also through the various websites for which you can. You can also uh, uh, check out, I do believe, at www.wohw.com. So then you go to the, the site and you can get uh, a lot of little personalized things with, uh, with the book as well. You know, you talked about WrestleMania. Of course, that was the big make-or-break moment uh, for Vince McMahon Jr. as he, uh, through the, you know, the years prior, took over from from. Vince senior took over the company and uh, of course uh, with that uh, with, a, with that becoming a success even you know that even more fueled the fire of this WWF expansion and what ended up being the end result uh, of the territories uh, slowly falling away in the next uh, few years of the 1980s uh, what was it like for you you know you had been in the WWF right at the you know at that point in time where there was a transition from Vince senior to J- junior and the work Styles, of course, very, very different as far as uh, Vince uh, and his dad. 
What was it like for you to get in and, and to have, you know, the go from the older guard to, to Vince or to Vinny around some of the boys and his vision of, of what he wanted in pro wrestling and some of the, the, the things, the rules, the unwritten rules that he broke to uh, get some of the guys in and, and to kind of really shake up and ultimately uh, demolish what became the, what was left of the territories. What was, what was that like, uh, the, the working styles of, of, of senior versus junior? Well, you know, uh, uh, Senior uh, was a very respected promoter. You know, uh, he, he had the reputation that if he gave you his word, he was going to keep his word. Uh, and, you know, Junior was, was, was nothing like it. You know, Junior was going to tell you whatever you wanted to hear and, and break it, uh, break the, the rule whenever he, whenever he was ready and, uh, I was just very, very happy uh, when I saw that he was taking over because uh, a lot of the promoters, you know, didn't treat some of the guys very good. So when he started taking over, you know, some of his territories, you know, a lot of these guys deserve to be to be uh, taken over. Uh, I was just happy that I was in New York when this was taking place and, you know, I was in the biggest territory and I was in the territory that was going to be growing and, and go into different places and, you know, bigger arenas. And, you know, I, I just felt like I was very lucky to be at the right place at the right time. Yeah, and the whole thing, too, uh, right around that mid-'80s when Vince uh, really took over the reins was the expansion of professional wrestling back injected into the pop culture and the mass populace through this, you know, through the MTV rock and, you know, the rock and wrestling connection, Hulk Hogan and stuff. So it was a really just kind of a major sea change where I think pro wrestling got you know, got dusted off a little bit, the product, and was really brought from black and white into Technicolor during that time with Vince and as far as the ideas and the innovations that he 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 went forward with uh with his his vision of uh, what he wanted the world wrestling federation to be i mean it really became a a thing it was a pop culture thing you'd see it on major television you'd see these wrestlers making appearances hulk would be on the grammys or with cindy lauper i mean they're they're in movies i mean it became such a a whole different beast within a few years uh from 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 uh, senior to junior well, you know, Vince Stone is that you guys are going to be bigger stars than, than the NFL players or, or any of the other players. And, and uh, it, it was true. We, we became more recognizable because, you know, the football players underneath a, a, a helmet, so they, they couldn't see the face. Uh, we were on TV all the time, and, you know, they could, people, people would recognize us all over the street, you know, wherever we were on the streets. Uh, we became very recognizable, you know, uh, everybody all over the world knew who we were. Now, how interesting was it through those years and, and from that point on, uh, you know, with all of the, with Vince, with his expansion and bringing lots of different guys, cherry picking some of the finest uh, wrestlers from the territory system. What was the like to sometimes go into a locker room and sometimes see an influx of guys that you worked for or worked with in other territories and, and just the whole weight of the situation of that, that Vince has really, really, really got something here. But what was that like to see some of these guys come in, this influx through the years? Uh, some of them stayed around for a little bit. Some of them stayed around for uh, many years. But what was it like to see that uh you know that effect of vince uh jr 
you know, doing what he did with the cherry picking of some of these guys from the various territories and giving them a bigger national platform? Well, it, it was, uh, I mean, like, at the time, I had been, when, when I left in 93, I had been in the WWE, uh, WWF longer than anybody else. Uh, and so I saw a lot of people come and go. Uh, so in the early 80s, where I had been in other little territories before I got to New York, uh, the second time around, uh, I knew of all these big stars. Uh, but when, in 1983, when Vince Sr., uh, before the expansion started, said, it's time for you to come home, uh, you know, I, I was thinking about going into uh, Louisiana and work for Bill Watts, but when he told me to come home, man, was that the, the sweetest thing I ever heard. Uh, but when the expansion started, I felt that, you know, I was the Mexican that he brought in for the Hispanics. He brought JYD for, for, for the black wrestler. He brought Hulk Hogan for, for, you know, just for everybody. So he went out and got all the, covered all the ethnic uh, uh, wrestlers and brought them into the territory. And, 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 you know, all these guys, we were ready. You know, we, we were polished. We, 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 were, we were hard workers. We knew how to talk. We, we knew how to draw money. Uh, and, and then there was so much talent. He didn't bring everybody in right away. You know, he would nick and pick and then brought them in at the right time, brought the right people to write, to work with Hogan, the right people to work with uh, George the Animal Steel, the right people to work with, you know, everybody else. And, you know, uh, he, he didn't have a one-year plan. He had a, a 50-year plan, a 100-year plan, you know. He, he, uh, and he's still going strong. You know, to go from that that make or break risk of WrestleMania one to what two years not to, to just what two years later to to be filling out the Pontiac Silverdome with WrestleMania three. I mean, God, God, the, the, it it was just an explosion and. You know, to be able to be, you know, not only work these big shows like Madison Square Garden and some of the big arenas around the country, but you guys were starting to to, to work and, and have these big events in, you know, football stadiums and making these record crowds. I mean, th- that must have been something just that the experience of being, you know, wrestling in front of all of those thousands upon thousands of people in Pontiac, Michigan for for WrestleMania three back in 87. I mean, that's got to be one of those memories that stand out just from the, the sheer amount of humanity that was in that. Uh, that dome that day. Well, it, it was a it, it was a good uh, it was a good feeling because uh, uh, all the arenas that we'd be going to, there'd be thousands and thousands of people waiting outside the arenas that we had never seen anything like that before. Uh, I remember in San Diego that they had the people you know circled circled around the the the, the building you know like like they do in uh, Disney World before you're gonna get, gonna get in the ride. Uh, and, and half the people wouldn't be able to get in. You know, uh, the, the place would be completely sold out and, and, and half the people uh, were just happy to see us walking in and out, you know, at the building. It, it, it was, I don't think they'll ever see that again. No, it was definitely a, a real, real magical moment in time because it was just so you know, innovative, you know, as far as this pro wrestling getting beyond just uh, uh, the the reaches of a couple of state territory. This was big time national scope. And it was, uh, you know, again, another thing that made such big headlines. I mean, when WrestleMania is mentioned on on, on sports broadcasts and stuff, you know that Vince has definitely got something uh, 
strong and, and definitely uh, here to stay. I'm going to bring uh, the grizzled vet, vet uh, Mike McCurdy, back into the conversation. I know he has a few more co- uh, questions for our guest today. Um, I'd like to talk a little bit about the book, because, you know, obviously that's kind of what we're here to promote for you as well. The book, Don't Call Me Chico, I'm looking forward to it coming out. have not pre-ordered one, so I may not get a phone call. Um, still looking forward to reading it. But you said you had got a little bit of a sour taste in your mouth from the first, you know, trying to write your first book. What was it like going through the process of putting together everything for, you know, this book and going through just, you know, your vast career and picking, you know, what goes in, what doesn't go in? I'd like to hear a little bit about kind of the, the writing process in the what I liked about uh, Kenny is, is that uh, he, I mean Kenny knows more about my career than I do, uh, and you know he refreshed uh, a, a lot of my memories. You know he, he would uh, he would uh, throw hooks up there and, and he'd hook me and I'd start talking and uh, it, it was a, a continuous conversation and, and ideas that he would bring up and uh, m- memories that you know that we. It's kind of like I said. Uh, it was kind of nice to to relive a, a lot of the moments that that uh, that I went through that that I had forgotten, uh, you know, over the years. And for somebody to know as much as I know about my life, uh, to me, it's it's unbelievable. You know, he's a very intelligent guy, and uh, I guess he did a lot of research, kind of like uh, you know the way you guys research when you're going to interview somebody and and. Uh, uh, it's uh, it, it, it has been a great experience to to, to relive uh, uh, a lot of memories that, that I have gone through in my life. Uh, some good, some bad, and you know uh, uh, he has put it all together. And, and you know I think it's a very nice book to read, and uh, I can't wait to you know to get the results. And uh, I'd, I'd like to read it again myself. <laughs> to be honest with you. <laughs> now, how did we? How did you decide on the title? Don't call me Chico. Again, it was Kenny. Uh, he he threw uh, he threw a, a few uh, a few different uh, selections that that that, that uh, he thought would be good, and uh, for some reason, don't call me Chico. You know, really hit a good note. Now, for our listeners who want to order, you know, pre-order the book or they want to go out and look for it, or they just want to find you and, you know, see what you're doing now, find you on social media, where can they order the book and where can they find you, you know, through Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and all the other social media outlets? They can go to titosantena.com and all the information is going to be there uh, to order the book, uh, 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 I guess, uh, through uh, PayPal. I'm on Facebook under my real name, Merced Solis. I'm not on there all the time, but, you know, I, I, I do spend some time on Facebook. All right, Glenn, I'm going to pass the microphone back to you for the the fun, for the wrap-up. All right, we're going to wrap things up real quick on this edition of Wrestling Memories Then and Now. The book, again, Tito Santana, Don't Call Me Chico. Tito, thank you so much for taking some time out of your uh, schedule today. I know you're a busy man. Maybe sometime down the road we may have to uh, expand upon more of your career highlights, but thank you for the time that you have given us today, and I hope that there's many people, and I hope you make many thank-you phone calls for your latest book. Thank you so much, Glenn and Mike. For Tito Santana and the Grizzle Vet Mike McCurdy, I'm Glenn Broggett. This has been Rasslin' Memories Then and Now.